Hi everyone, welcome to Podcast 19 from Football Anya, discussing everything Dutch football. Today, we'll be talking about the Eredivisie first week's action, a preview of the provisional squad for France versus the Netherlands, and as always, we answer your questions that you send in to us on Twitter. You're probably listening to us on YouTube, SoundCloud or iTunes. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to leave a like and subscribe to us. So we saw all the Eredivisie action last weekend. There were some surprises. Heracles beat Ajax. Is that a surprise though for you two? Or do you think maybe Ajax deserved to lose that game? I think they underestimated Heracles. Um, Heracles have been known to survive in Eredivisie because of their home form primarily and also the fact they're extremely well organised. Uh, but I, I think... Um, uh, Ajax maybe with a, not so much a hangover from Europe but the disappointment of not going through in the uh, in the Champions League qualifiers and wanting to start uh, with a high tempo wanting to start with a win and coming unstuck against a team which can provide a difficult away day but um, they're already three points behind finals and there's only one game played so that's not the, the best start um, but other results which caught my eye was uh, Fenlo's 3-0 home win against Sparta. Uh, I think it was really, really convincing, thoroughly deserved and fantastic way for them to announce themselves back into the Eredivisie after a four-year absence. I also wanted to make a point of uh, the, the derby of the North between uh, Groningen and Hilofein, which ended in 3-3 with uh, penalties, with uh, bad defending, with neither side wanting to, to lose or lose any bragging rights and um, I think that game did its title justice and yeah. I, I, actually, I actually think with Groningen and Hidden Vane that, that also although it was a crazy end to the game it, I, I agree with the managers a draw was a fair result It was a really good game wasn't it between um, Groningen and Hidden Vane I just want to go back to your point James about uh, VVV, uh, you met Miley um, Stein I believe just the other day Yes, uh, yesterday. And how was that? Was it great to meet um, Modis? Yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, I, I can't speak highly enough of him. The whole afternoon have been um, have been well received and uh, having a, a great chat about many many different things about Ardo Den Haag, about his internship with uh, Jose Mourinho, with um, his uh, finding his place in Faith for Finlo and uh, and wanting to build something. It was interesting to hear about what characters he looks for when they're trying to attract players and when looking for new players. And one point which really stuck with me is that this is a man who, when he played in his own career, his career was ended at the age of 27 due to injury. And he states himself that he never had the opportunity to go abroad as a player and he hopes eventually to have that opportunity as a manager. But uh, he's still got some work to do at Fever Venlo, and uh, I think they'll surprise a lot of um, a lot of teams this season. And as I stated before the season began, not just Fever Venlo, but also Nagpreda, who also got um, promoted last season. I can see them both staying up without any difficulty at all. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think Fever and Nagpreda, like they're going to have very good seasons. They've got better players than some people expect, especially Nak because of all the low knees they have. But also, I think. You're right there, James, about Stein, a, a magnificent character for, for that team, and he really just drives him along, doesn't he? It's been a busy week for you, hasn't it, in terms of interviews? Um, could you tell some of the listeners about 
what you've been up to as well. Th these are interviews, by the way, all available on um, footballnoni.com if you want to have a read. Yeah, it, it started, uh, just to give the listeners a bit of a background information, this started just over a year ago with uh, William Flute, who was, the, who was the then manager of Den Bosch, and uh, since then managed to have, uh, amongst others, uh, Luigi Bedouns from Excelsior, Eduard de Plamp and Ardo Den Haag, Jeroen van der Leyen, and Esther Twente, and yesterday, Marie Stein. Uh, this morning, I interviewed uh, the manager of Achilles 29, who were relegated from the UP League last season. And tomorrow I have a telephone interview with the Hellman Sports centre-back, uh, Michael Fukulun. So uh, look forward to that. It, the interviews have been coming thick and fast, but um, it's nice to um, nice to get a couple under my belt with uh, Roland Bellegamp uh, when he was at um, AKC Valveik a few weeks ago uh, to go there and to visit him. And uh, yes, um, nice to have nice to be busy. And uh, yeah, long may it continue. Great. Uh, so, go back to the Eredivisie. Um, Michael, I just want to get your opinion on what stood out for you last weekend. I think um, it's a few things that stood out. PSV getting a much needed win over AZ. Um, you know, it wasn't great at times, but we got done. And I think um, one player that definitely stood out for me over the weekend was Irving Lozano. The uh, big summer signing the old Mexican was um, basically tormented the AZ defence in the first half. He had three great chances, scored one great goal, hit the bar, had one cleared off the line. Um, he's got to be an exciting talent to watch. Sadly, I think we have to also mention the fact that um, Calvin Stengs, who the Orange.com tipped basically to be one of the stars this season, um, big talent, only 18. Sadly, his season's over after damaging his knee ligaments against PSC. It's a shame because in opening five minutes, if you watch the game, he was the best player on the pitch by far. Um, in the opening seconds, he absolutely skinned Jorah Hendricks. Um, he was direct running at the PSV defence, had him scared. And then, about eight minutes, he's getting stretched off. And that's the season over. Um, you know, luckily, it was a really bad one. And it's luckily that his career's not actually over. Um, it's only going to be a season he's going to recover from it. So hopefully next year we'll see him back and um, he can get back to, to the level he was at just before he got injured. Um, other things that stood out, I think Feyenoord looked very strong. They weren't at the best against FC20, but they just got the job done, and that's what champions do. Um, the guy actually slipped up. Feyenoord easily could have slipped up in that game. 20 had their chances, but they rolled out, got a, got a win, and I think um, the front three of Feyenoord are already clicking. That's two games in a row. That boy just to set up Jorgensen score goals, and I think them two are going to have a very productive partnership um, going forward. Also on FC20 as well, I think we're pretty pessimistic on their chances going into a new season after a pre-season form, but they don't look as bad as what they did in pre-season. I think that maybe they'll do better than what they what I thought beforehand. Um, Utrecht as well, they look very strong. I didn't think they'd be as strong before the season after losing Haller. But um, Dessers actually looks like a, a really good sign in there because he scored two goals the weekend. Um, and I think he's going to be a big signing for them. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Utrecht because um, as we're recording this podcast, they've just beaten Zenit St. Petersburg. And once again, I think that's down to Edison Haag just really sorting out the tactics of that team. They, they've just performed so magnificently considering the names they have in that squad. I always say that, but you can only admire the work he's done there. And I think that goes again to Rene Harker at Twente. Um, as you said, Michael, like they, they've... 
they've gone from pre-season looking pretty inept, inept and they've turned up against finals and actually put in a pretty good performance and could have come away with a draw. Um, it's a positive way of looking at it. Final course did look stronger, much stronger than Twente and looked ready for another um, win at the title. Have you, any of your opinions changed, by the way, uh, with regards to your potential title winners? Do you think that the weekend weekend performance of Ajax has kind of put you off maybe a title tilt? Um, do you think Feyenoord have again persuaded you to that they, they will be title, title contenders again and they will lift the trophy again? I predicted before the season started that um, Feyenoord would prolong the title. And uh, from what I saw against... Um, FC Twente, it was a, a slow start, but uh, to win on the open de- opening day is very important. I think for Ajax to be playing catch-up already after one game is, uh, is a bit concerning. But there's, there's a long, long way to go. There'll be many, many twists and turns. And um, it'll be interesting to see uh, what Europe does and how that plays a part in terms of uh, potential Champions League group for finals, the strength of opponents, and hopefully a... Um, a Europa League campaign for Ajax as well should they uh, dispatch of uh, Rosenborg they play them in uh, the first leg is in Amsterdam tomorrow night I think for me that Feyenoord looked the strongest of the weekend and you've got to say that they're still the favourites for the title um, but it's going to be very interesting because I think Ajax looked weak defensively again um, and did not got very many options right now but if they do sell Davison Sanchez 50 million and they bring in a few recruits that strengthens their side which is what's needed um, for them to be title contenders again because I think if they lose Sanchez and defence is um shaky against Heracles and against better teams they might get picked apart and I think Sanchez will be a big loss for them if he does go to Tottenham and um, 50 million will over Mars but Kaiser spend it when he's need to wait and see because um, I think that's the only way they become title challenges but PSV they won the game, and um, I still don't see them being as strong as Feyenoord going forward, but they weren't as bad as everyone made out before the season, and um, they could be around challenging Ajax for second, I think. It's um, let's, let's talk more about Sanchez. Uh, he has been heavily linked with Spurs, and it's uh, supposedly that he has agreed terms, personal terms, with Tottenham ahead of a, a, an expensive deal. I don't know what the fee is exactly, but I believe that Spurs offered forty million, but uh, Ajax wanted fifty. Michael, what's the latest on that? Like, has, has there been any more developments today, and what can Spurs expect to gain from Sanchez? Because he's an excellent defender, isn't he? Oh, he's superb. Um, developments today. Obviously, the Telegraph this morning said that personal terms have been agreed on a five-year deal. Um, yeah, Ajax are holding out for fifty million, which I think is great. They're not bowing to the pressure of a Premier League side offering £40 million. It's, it's a big money for a Dutch club but they know that Sanchez is tied down to a long term contract and know what he's worth in the market these days um, and they're holding out £50 million and I think eventually it will get paid by Tottenham um, but I think it's just a little bit hardball getting played right now Sanchez actually trained Ajax today he didn't train yesterday saying he had a sore knee um, which I think was just a bit of of a guy, he's a bit of a shadow play, but um, today he was back. He's actually in the squad for the Rosenborg game tomorrow. Um, Kaiser confirmed that in his press conference, but he also said he might not be there tomorrow if things change and we just need to wait and see. If Tottenham up their bid tonight, then he's gone tomorrow and um, he won't be in the squad. But if Ajax hold out for 50 million, then he could play against Rosenborg, and that's a, 
a big boost for Ajax tomorrow. But um, Tottenham are getting a very exciting centre back when if they do sign him. Um, just to go along with the players they've already signed, like Vertonghen, Odorell, who already came through Ajax. Um, you know, he's great in the air, he's powerful, he's strong, he likes to bring the ball forward. You only have to see in the Europa League times, like in the semi final against Ajax, uh, Ajax against Leon. Um, you know, dying minutes, he, was, he had the ball at his feet, he was striding forward, he was running forward, he acted like a centre forward. Um, he wants to get the ball at his feet. Um, he's just an excellent centre back, and only 21, he's only going to get better. I think um, Tottenham's the right sort of step as well, it's not going to Barcelona or Real Madrid to use link to it. I think Pochettino uh, can, can mold him like he's molded a few young players there, they've got a young squad like Deli Alley. Um, players like that Janssen's there um, if these players get developed in Tottenham are looking very strong and they're going to be title contenders in the Premier League in the season I think Sanchez he'll go there he won't be first choice straight away but I think over the next season he'll become a big big player in the Premier League See I think he'd go in and quickly settle as a, a third choice centre-back behind both Alderweireld and Vertonghen if Tongue's not shifted out to left-back because Sanchez has um, for me, he would he would be ready to step into Barcelona simply because of his uh, attacking abilities and his determination to get really get forward. I also think that he has the re- excellent ball control. He can pass. I do think, though, that sometimes from a negative point of view, he's caught out of position um, and perhaps he's caught sort of ball watching and not really looking at the, his defensive line when he really should be the defensive leader next to an 18-year-old De Ligt. Um, but that's really his only weakness that I've noticed so far. As you said, Michael, he's strong. He wins things in the air like all the time. And I think it'd be an excellent addition for Spurs, especially to t- uh, challenge for the title. Um, but whether or not Spurs will pay that money um, is another issue. And I think Sanchez could do another season with Ajax, but that's not to say that he wouldn't be ready for Spurs. I'm sure he'd get a lot of games in both the Champions League and the Premier League. I think the interest surrounding Sanchez shows how far he's come as a player. Mm. It was only in uh, 2016 that he was brought to Ajax from uh, Atletico Nacional in Colombia. Um, he's then gone on to be capped by Colombia twice to grow in stature. He's physically extremely strong. I remember him first catching my eye last September when I went to watch Ajax play uh, Pegswala and they won uh, 5-1 and uh, he was everywhere. For, def- for defenders, for a centre back, he was everywhere. He was in the opponent's six, di- um, six yard box. And uh, Mike's uh, comments about what Kaiser echoed his comments about what Kaiser said. That um, I translated the uh, the press conference that he did earlier on this evening, or early on today. And um, yeah, he's uh, Sanchez is part of the squad. Uh, Kaiser has said that he doesn't, you know, he's not the only manager that has to deal with uncertainty with potential players leaving. Uh, all clubs have that um, that scenario, are faced with that scenario until the window shuts on the 1st of September. And uh, Kaiser is intent on doing what's best for Ajax and what's best for his team. And um, we'll just have to see how the situation plays out. Considering that um, uh, when Sanchez made his name with his Copa Libertadores experience in Colombia, that Barcelona, Flamengo and Ajax showed an interest and Ajax was the one to get him. Um, it shows um, it shows that Ajax can still attract worldwide talent, and in this case, it's blossomed. And uh, you would hope that Ajax get the right price, and most importantly, that that money is reinvested. 
because their buying policy at Ajax is, is somewhat questioned, especially here locally these last few weeks where um, fans are becoming a, di- a bit disgruntled where the, the money is there but they don't want to invest and they're not they're not concerned with being a rich club. They want to uh, maintain their heritage. They want to reinvest in quality players to go for another league title. So um, it be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Uh, talking of centre-backs, uh, Virgil van Dijk is currently on the edge of leaving Southampton, but then the club today played hardball and said that he's not for sale and he will be staying for this season. They want to replace him with Lazio centre-back Wesley Hutt, or supposedly, as Southampton say, they want him to play alongside Van Dijk. Is that a good choice for, um, for, for Wesley Hutt? I may be a bit controversial and showing no disrespect to Southampton supporters, but I don't think it is. Uh, Hutt was also um, uh, linked to Leicester. I think it was back in uh, uh, back in last Jan- uh, during the January transfer window. I think it might have been. Uh, he's doing really, really well at Lazio. He's becoming a fan favourite. He's playing every single game. He's being involved in a very, very difficult league, which will only gain in quality as time goes on. I think if Wesley Hood stays where he is and continues to improve, it wouldn't be far-fetched to think that Juventus might come for him eventually, or a Milan might come for him, or a, a top European side could... Um, want to use his services and I think he's running the risk of maybe moving too soon Lazio play uh, of uh, Europa League this season they just won the Italian Super Cup uh, they have good players as well such as Immobile and they're really on uh, full cylinders with Simone Inzaghi as, uh, as the manager uh, so I would uh, in the case of Wesley Hood I would urge caution and uh, and I would stay where he is until a bigger club, maybe Juventus, maybe Milan, in terms of staying in Italy. Because uh, I think naturally over time they're going to show an interest in him because he's been so consistent in what is a very, very high quality and very difficult league from top to bottom. Yeah, I have to say, James, I do agree with you. Um, and, and if you look at it as well, this is what was named in the provisional squad ahead of the, the key qualifier against France for the World Cup. Do you think that Wesley uh, Hutt's like to start? Um, for both of you as well, do you think there's any surprises in this squad that's just been announced? I think there's loads of surprises. Um, I think the main surprise is that Robin Van Persie is back in the squad um, after now a two-year absence. The last game he played was the defeat to Czech Republic in Amsterdam, um, the game where he actually scored an own goal and it ruined our hopes of getting to Euro 2016. Um, his form for Fenerbahce has not been that great, but I think the Cadvocats picked him um, in the professional squad, whether he makes it into the actual final squad, or Janssen and Bastos remain as strikers, where maybe Jurgen Lacadia is the third one remains to be seen, but um, that's a surprise. There's also a surprise with Ryan Babel. Um, for seven years, he's been back, but this shows you that um, Babel's really gone through a, a good change in his career. I think he went off looking for a bit of money um, for a wee while, but then he went back to Deportivo, found his form again, went to Besiktas and in Turkey he's, he's doing really well and this is the reward um, for him doing really well, he's got caught up. Um, there's also Karim Rekic, who was a bench player 
at Marseille last year, hardly played at all, and moved to Hereford Bowen in the summer. And the season will start here, but he's already in the Netherlands squad. It shows, um, I think, the main thing that highlights is a lack of options that Netherlands have at the moment um, for such a key game against France and Bulgaria after that, that we have to go to these players that really aren't starting for the clubs. And it's a bit of a worry, really. Vincent Janssen's going to be the main striker again. He doesn't get a game for Tottenham. He's still there. He sat on the bench at the game against Newcastle all weekend. Um, you know, Van Persie might be the backup. He's not scoring goals. You know, for defence, he got red kick. Um, you know, it's a bit of a worry for me going forward. Um, the only highlight I'd say was a good thing was uh, Donny van der Beek's got his call up after his um, form for Ajax. And he's, I think he's going to be a big player for Netherlands going forward. And I look forward to seeing him get his debut. Um, I think as well with the experience that you see in the squad with Van Persie, Robin Snyder, uh, I think Advocat will for the game in uh, in Paris fall back on experience, and uh, because I think he will believe that will be the best way to get a result. I think with the inclusion of Van Ginkel and Donny Van der Beek, I think it may also be uh, Advocat's way of ha- of seeing how they are physically how sharp they are in order to um, uh, to be included um, I think with the way that Tony Fulhane has uh, played for um, finals and being instrumental, instrumental in their title win I would like to think that he would get more of a, a shot at international level to show what he can do maybe not being the, um, the, the, the glue that holds everything together in the attacking force but being able to get more game time to show to show what he can do, but um, I think the the game against France is key, and I think with Advocat's experience at international and club level, that he knows that if he can call on the uh, experienced players that he has, even though it may be three, four, five of them, that that may well be the best um, way of getting the result. He's got experience, but he's going to end up playing the four three three that hasn't really served the Netherlands that well recently, and playing that midfield three of Wijnaldum and uh, Klaassen with Stoltman. The call-up of Donny van der Beek was definitely promising, seeing as he's been he's been pretty good, actually, for Ajax. And hopefully he can play in a defensive midfield role that really needs filling, um, seeing as he's very flexible in the midfield area. But there isn't any time, really, for Avocat to keep experimenting. He's got to pick a team that he's probably seen quite a lot already. And I, I also think, we're back to Michael's point about Van Persie and Janssen being both being in the squad. They both play well on the international stage. Um, there's, no, there's no denying that. And that's probably why they're in the squad. It's purely based on international form um, and not really on club level form. But do, do you two think that there's going to be... Oh, well, he hasn't got much time to see the players in action, and especially not in game action. Is this the best preparation? You talk about Avocat's experience to get a draw, but... Is it enough to get the win they really need? They have a chance to win in Paris. There's no doubt about that. They can't be written off completely. No. They they, def- they definitely have a chance, but it's all. I think. I think it will be like a a blood uh, and thunder type experience where they know that should they not come away with ideally a win, or if they was to lose that. Um, Russia next year would be even further away. I think with Advocat returning to the national team fold for the third time, he's not doing it 
uh, I don't think to waste time. He wants to um, he wants to naturally get to a World Cup. He wants the national team to do well. But should the Netherlands fail to qualify, then it's back to square one again because I can't see. Um, I can see Advocate staying for the remainder of the qualifying campaign, but after that, regardless, um, um, that may well be it. Because, you know, he's also uh, getting older, and an older manager also has to enjoy his retirement and, uh, and, and do other things that he would like to do. So uh, I think um, I think it will be a, a last-chance saloon in Paris where they're going to have to go full pelt for minute one if they are going to get a positive result. I think the worry for me is that the squad, if you ain't up against what we'll eventually see from France, you know, the, the depth and class between the two squads is going to be huge. I mean, France is going to go into that game knowing that they need to win as well after that result in Sweden. Um, and I think that, you know, they've got the youngsters coming through, like Mbappe, all the Monaco youngsters, they've got Toliso, it's just went to Bayern. I mean, this squad's going to be filled with talent. And they're going to go in the Netherlands for minute one as well, I think. It'd be very dangerous for now and think that we're going to that game knowing that we have to play. They're probably thinking exactly the same and they're going to go full power from the start. And uh, if it falls upon you know, players that aren't getting game time in clubs, it's going to be very dangerous because they're going to, not going to be as sharp as the French players. And I think that's going to hurt us. And I'd like to see Dick Advocat actually experiment a little to try and get the best players in the best form um, in a formation that works. Instead of just going for 4-3-3 in the familiar names. My actual worry is France's pace down the wings against uh, Danny Blint at left-back and Joel Veltman at right-back. Seen Veltman struggle already against pace players, especially in the, the, the latter stages of the Europa League. And that's my worry there because France got this much talent. I just think they can overrun in midfield and play through the flanks and then there's a lot of trouble. Um, but... You say don't write the Netherlands off, but how much confidence is there in them getting this result? Right now, I wouldn't say I was hugely confident of getting a win. Um, it depends on the final squad, what team there is, and you need to see the final squad. But right now, I was pretty pessimistic. Um, I think the only way I can see Netherlands reaching Russia is you know, maybe scrape a draw in Paris and then hope that Sweden swoops up somewhere and it's the thing that's got to go to Bulgaria you're hoping that Bulgaria can do mm. everyone's a favourite and then everyone's need to win all the rest of their games so that's it really um, I think France will be a bit too strong I think if France had beaten Sweden they might have taken an eye off a bit I thought we're, we're ahead we're going we're gonna to qualify but now that they need to win as well I think I just can't see everyone's getting a win in Paris OK I think we finished this week's podcast on the questions we had in via Twitter. Now, the first one I think we'll go for is one from Cam, who talks once again about Davison Sanchez. He says, with the transfer looming, uh, does Ajax look for an immediate replacement or would a low move make more sense? Can I just put my opinion forth on this one first? Uh, Ajax recently signed um, a, a, South, a South American right back. Could I have his name, please? Luis Manuel Orejuela. Great knowledge, James. Um, and he was, and they managed to get him for three point six million. See, I think from, a fee uh, like that. From where? Sorry. Uh, I think Deportivo Cali in Colombia. 
Just... I'll have to double check that. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. Same car as you got um, Cassiera. So the scout there is as recommended to Kaiser about this player, and they spent a lot of money on signing him. Now, I, I think that the Sanchez money will stay with Ajax, and Arajuela will end up playing a lot of games um, at right-back, and Veltman will be asked to play at centre-back. I don't think they're going to look for an immediate replacement, especially not a loan deal, especially now that Fozzie Mensah has gone to Crystal Palace on loan and not to Ajax. Um, what do you think, you two? I oh, think, yeah. uh, sorry, after you. Um, I was going to say, I think that um, Ajax are clearly scouting the South American market, so whether they, whether they go back there for someday in the coming weeks, we'll have to wait and see. But um, options in the Netherlands, I think they would have had a few if this transfer had happened at the end of the season. But I think every single option they have to sign a young Eredivisie centre back is gone. Um, I think Hoogman could have done it, I think. St. Eustace could have done it, and I think um, Rick Van Drongen would be an argued signing, but I think all three of them gone um, to other clubs. I think slim pickings right now for Ajax, wherever they go to South America, or they look to, as you say, move Joe Velbin or Beerhaver back into the middle um, and make more use of um, even Zephyr kit right back or Dykes to keep him and you said more left back in the Veerhaver into the middle. The only thing I would say about that is Veerhaver looked very shaky alongside the Ligt against Heracles. And Agreed. I think if that's his first choice centre pairing for uh, the rest of the season, then that might be a bit of a struggle mm. for Ajax. Um, to answer the question from the, the Twitter follower, they should reinvest that money. They should reinvest that money if they receive it. Luis Manuel Orejuela was signed from Deportivo Cali in Colombia. Uh, I would like to um, elaborate on uh, Mike's point about uh, Seyfeld. I saw him make his debut against Eden Vane last April, and he's got an awful lot of promise, and it would be such a shame for someone who you could tell within 10 minutes of when he came on to make his debut to have the um, to have the gumption and the confidence to gesticulate to other uh, teammates about where to, where to stand and also um, dictating where opponents are... Uh, from the areas upon which they are attacking, it would be such a shame if, if say, Falk was to find himself um, uh, maligned by this, even though um, but uh, Orejuela plays as a right-back. So uh, I would reinvest the money. Um, I, when I spoke to Molly Stein yesterday, he was saying about the, the need to scout well and identify good characters. Uh, players are there if you look. And... Um, Ajax used to have a policy where they would um, they would study and they would look and they would take the chances and they need to get back to that. They need to get back to scouting early as soon as a player is of enough quality that they deem to be able to play for Ajax. Then they should go in for the kill. They should go into um, they should go into attract that player. Uh, the names that um, the names that Mike just mentioned, uh, Ajax not so long ago would have gone for these players extremely early and they already would be Ajax players so it would help them if they do receive the money from Sanchez to reinvest as soon as possible it would also placate supporters who are not so much um, worried about players leaving but the fact that they don't want to the club don't really want to release the funds they've got and the, the, the 
the fans are not they don't care about the club having an awful lot of money and uh, and and making money they care about attracting talent to push the club forward to hopefully win a league title again if it's relating to the transfer market and another question i hear about elo uh, elo rome uh, the vitesse goalkeeper he's talking about the rumor move to psv surely too much talent to be a number two it is a step up or is it all about the money just to give a bit of background to this uh Adamco Paspia has recently gone from psv who was a second choice goalkeeper to vitesse and seems to be competing very well with rome to be the first choice goalkeeper but um Adam is actually a very good goalkeeper and is on the cusp of getting a call up to the Netherlands national team. But it seems weird that he's going to PS3 to be second choice. Um, do you think that his recent um, toils with not being the first choice goalkeeper outright at Vitesse have helped him push him out the door? Or do you think it's all about the money? I think. Oh, sorry, Michael. After you. Um, I was going to say, he only has one year left on his deal in Arnhem. Um, I think earlier in the transfer window, he's, he's very strongly linked to Everton. Um, he spoke about how he was looking to leave this summer to further his career. Um, and you could say that moving to PSV to be second choice is um, a bit of a cop-out. But if you think about it, um, Jerome Zut is getting heavily linked to a, um, a move away from PSV recently. And uh, the, the crowd... Telegraph even said today that um, a move to Benfica looks very likely for transfer window ends. So, um, Rumo will be going to PSV to start as second choice. If Zot leaves, then he's number one. Um, and then he's number one at PSV instead of being number two at Vitesse or even number three if he went to Everton. And then you could say that it was a great choice for his career. I agree. Um, I would be surprised if he's not number one in Eindhoven uh, by the time the transfer window is closed. Uh, the rumours are gathering momentum that Jeroen Sud will, uh, will leave. Uh, I saw, uh, I saw uh, that he was linked to Crystal Palace. Uh, I would be uh, surprised if Jeroen Sud was to remain in Eindhoven. Um, I think with um, Rome, I think people that are criticising him, he's been involved with Vitesse Arnhem for 15 years. He's given an awful lot to that club and um, been an ever-present in the, the cup-winning side, in the league, in their um, previous Europa League qualifying campaigns. He could not have given anything more to the club than he's physically already given. I think it's a good move for him, especially if he'll end up as number one, which I think he will be. And then he can uh, his career will progress from there. You, you've got to remember as well, he's only 28 years old and there's still a lot to come from him. As regards to Jeroen Sout, um, I think Benfica will be a fantastic move for him, especially a club of that stature, if that does turn out to be the case. But uh, I can see um, Elroy Realm being the number one in Eindhoven once the transfer window has closed. And finally, we have a question from Cam. Where do you think Hellenvain will finish this season? He also had a second question asking who our tip was to win the league this year. Is it Ajax or Feyenoord? We answered that question earlier, so please rewind the podcast. Um, where do you think Hellen and Vane will finish this season? So, on the weekend uh, against Groningen, they were 3-1 up away from home, but again threw away a lead. How often did we see that last season? Quite a lot. And it's all down to Hellen and Vane's tactics of being far too attacking and not wanting to defend a 3-1 lead. They were very careless within their own penalty area, giving away penalties. And I just think that 
that will again hold them back, despite them having some very good attacking players. I just think that they're a little bit too um, unprepared in defence, and it's just about oh, he's a good defender. He 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 can do he can do his job, as opposed to actually paying attention to the tactics that that are needed in certain parts of the game, certain transitions of the game. They have to realise what to do when, is my opinion. I can't see anything other than mid-table again. Um, again. Looking again on Sunday, it's just defensively. They're all over the place. I think Van Aken, early in the second half, is very, very lucky not to give away a penalty for a tug on Veldvik. Um, that was, was blatant. And then later on again, in the game, he does it again and gives away a penalty that they want to get scored in the end. Can I get a draw, I think? He's a player that had so much promise in his youth and he's just not um, gone on as expected. I think he's, in, he's had injuries, but he was meant to be the next big talent like St. Just was over the last couple of years, but he's just never really developed properly. And I think um, he and Bean have a number of talented players that just aren't playing to their potential um, all over the side. I think Odegaard, I think it's a big year for him. Uh, I think he shows glimpses here and there. Whatever he can do, week in, week out, is just another thing. To seeing Sam Larson not playing, and um, I think they need to get rid of him as soon as possible, get the funds in, and strengthen the squad, or it's going to be, you know, 10th, 11th, 9th is the best that they can offer. My prediction for Hewn and Fane is that they'll finish between 7th and 10th. Uh, when you look at the squad with Sinelli, uh, with Oldrichard, uh, with Steinsfaz, and uh, the d- new defender they've got, Dumfries, and uh, with Baldenberg for finals. There is quality there, there is talent there. And Stadepo is also much maligned. I think it's, ta- it's taking him a lot longer to achieve what he uh, wanted to achieve at Hedon Fane. Um, he had spells at, he- at Billum Trey before he arrived at the club where they were playing some exceptionally good football. And it wasn't that long ago that when Feyenoord were in deep, deep trouble with Van Bronckhorst and they couldn't win a game, that Stadepo was linked to finals. So there is quality there in the squad, there is quality uh, in the manager as well, and um, I, my prediction is that they'll finish between 7th and 10th this season, and maybe have a cup run too. If you want to follow us on Twitter, our Twitter handles are in the, bot- uh, in the description on YouTube and SoundCloud. Don't forget if you listen to us on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, please. And if you have any questions for us, you can send them in via Twitter. You can comment on our various platforms, just YouTube, even on Facebook. We do look. And we look forward to talking to you next week.